Welcome back to Hope This Helps, a podcast for the sysadmin every person. We are announcing show number 27. My name is Steve. I am Tiffany. Sorry, I was just very puzzled by a podcast for the sysadmin every person. And I was like, wait, is he referring to the person's name as every person? Well, I was trying to be kind of gender neutral if I could. Because usually the normal term is every man, and I was like, well, that doesn't quite work for us in all cases here, so. No, I I just, I don't know why I was hung up on it for a second, and my brain just started thinking about it in various other ways, so I was being creative. Yeah. Which uh, we were just talking about not being creative today. Oh, yeah. No, no curveballs there. I just was being, I was being cute with the wordage. Anyways. Thanks for tuning in. We are recording on a Friday. We are feeling a lot of Friday moods today, all around. All the Friday moods. So if you are a returning listener, thank you, and welcome back. And if you are a new listener, welcome. And quick, run for the door. Yeah, now's your chance to leave if, you, if, if you're not feeling this. All right. So we've got an action-packed episode this week with all sorts of stuff. Yeah, we have a gaggle of literature on today's program. I was going to name the categories, but I think we kind of just, we're, we're a little light on the categories and heavy on the content, I think. Yeah, there's a lot of various things happening out there right now, and it is conference month, September, notorious. Yeah, we are getting very busy in these coming weeks. It's the fall, September, October conference gauntlet, and this year we can just attend whatever we want because it's all virtual and it seems to be all free. Yes, and there's a, what it seems like a lot of overlapping times and there's some things that I'm just like, oh, I want to go to that. Oh, wait, it's the same time as this one. What I did was I just um, I just registered for a bunch of them, and I didn't even look at the dates and times. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to take this and put it in my calendar. And if I get an alert saying this conference is happening, you know what? There we go. I didn't pay anything to get into it, so I'm just going to attend. That's the best. Rather than doing the Ignite scramble of trying to figure out what you're going to go to that day and hope that it's not packed. Oh, yeah. Don't make the Ignite mistake where you just register for everything. And then when you're there, you're just like, oh, crap. What do I do now? Where do I go? I can't be in seven right. places at once. Right. And it's like 15 miles. I'm exaggerating massively to the next location. Well, at least when I went, it was like very spread out. Yeah. It was, you know, if you're not careful, you could be a half a mile apart between conference rooms, at least in that little Florida convention mm-hmm. center that apparently they are not paying rent for anymore because before covid they announced that it was going to be in new orleans yes i was really excited about that but i'll take a virtual from home because then i can go 100 percent. yeah and i get my own bathroom and seating and my own everything the only thing i'm missing is just the social aspect and the after parties and such it's all right there's always going to be next year hopefully Hopefully, we'll, this will just be a one-time thing, so enjoy it, because best case scenario, this is the only virtual Ignite that will happen. Yep, let's hope. Let's or maybe they'll hope. have some way of being hybrid in the future, which would be really nice. That too. They'll probably take the best of both worlds, or the best of what they learn from this all-virtual event, and combine it with a physical one in the following years to come. I could see that happening. Anyways, back to talking about categories. So yeah, we, <laughs> so yeah it is conference season, and outside of conference season, we got a couple other things we're going to talk about. This week, we're going to start out with the boot up, which is our random topics section, kind of our airing of the grievances or random IT topics that couldn't fit anywhere else. We're going to talk about the Hope This Helps update corner with a whole bunch of stuff about Windows updates, cloud updates, various features or whatnot, problems. And then we have what did Microsoft hose this week? And we're going to talk about a couple of major incidents that are worth noting and our opinions on them. And then we're going to dive into some fun technical things, such as setting up a disposable Office 365 training environment. Woo! Without further ado, so yeah, it is conference season, and um, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Tiff, but I don't know if we had any other final thoughts on that. No, I'm ready to move along. Alrighty. Let's boot up, and what a boot up this is going to be. And now, a modest list of bugs in Windows 10 that Steve, me, <laughs> submitted in the feedback hub that got ignored or got no upvotes. Number one. <laughs> slow finger touch response time on the Surface Pro 6 versus the pen and mouse. Do you do you experience that? Because I do. Yes, I do. It's the most obnoxious. I want to throw my Surface into the wall. Yeah. Um, Anyways. <laughs> for anyone who's not in the know, 
if you have a Surface, particularly a Surface Pro 6, I can't speak for the other models, just try to like do something on the touchscreen with your finger. It could be a tap, it could be a swipe, it could be pressing a button. This action may or may not complete, or it may be really delayed. But then try the same thing with like the Surface Pen, or try it with, you know, the mouse and keyboard, and you'll notice, you'll feel it. There will be a notable better response time than using a finger. And I've noted this, I've demoed it, I submitted feedback basically zero upvotes in the feedback hub it's been a couple months Ooh, ooh! i definitely have noticed that also if i go from using the keyboard to the pen there's sometimes a delay yeah just kind of random touchscreen delays that totally shouldn't mm -hmm. happen i've read a couple other accounts of this on the internet and i've read about a possible registry fix that can fix overall um, millisecond latency but i don't know if this is the same thing i didn't really want to try that necessarily and it just felt like a strange fix yeah Really, I don't know. It doesn't feel like a registry fix. It, I don't know. It could be. Yeah. Maybe it's software. Who knows? Number two. Most files named hosts are removed by Windows Defender. This is obnoxious. Stop doing what? this, Microsoft. Just stop. But why? But why? Apparently, Windows Defender wants to nanny me, and any file that says the words hosts in the file name is dangerous and will kill me. It's not going to kill me. I want a custom host file or I'm editing a custom host file for a different system. Microsoft, stop it. That, wow, that is obnoxious. It's been driving me absolutely up a freaking wall because I have a GitHub repository where I'm doing an ad block host file. Anytime I do a pull or a push, Windows Defender comes in and is like, hey man, I just saved you from a really malicious file called hosts in this GitHub repo that has nothing to do with your System32 driver's Etsy host file whatsoever, but man, I saved you. You should give me a high five. No, I'm not giving you a high five. I'm going to give you a pile drive in a second if you don't stop. <laughs> I, I know I can make an exception for this, but I don't want to. I don't feel like I should have to. Stop nannying me with host files, Microsoft. No, you're being helicoptered by Microsoft. You're... Your helicopter daddy. Stop helicopter daddying me. <laughs> Just stop it. Just don't helicopter daddy me. No. I'm not sure why I, it came out that way, but it did. So <laughs> I'm going to roll with it. Yeah. Next thing. System tray context menus pop up underneath the taskbar when you're in task view. This is so obnoxious. This has been a bug in Windows forever, and it's not necessarily only in task view, but it's reproducible in task view. So if you press Windows tab to open task view, and you have a system tray icon, and I have task view open, and I'm like, hey, I don't want to have Zoom open right now, or Ring Central, or Teams, or Skype, or the OneNote Web Clipper, or the Slack app, or I don't know, something I want to close out of, and I want to right-click its icon in the system tray to click quit. I right-click it, the menu comes up underneath the taskbar, and I can't click it. If I try to click somewhere else, the menu stays there, and you can still move your mouse over some of the menu elements, but it won't, you know, you, I can't get to the button I want to click. Yeah, no clicky-click. I have so many issues with the task box thing. Yeah, and but this is a reproducible bug. I can pretty much do this every single time. I even did a problem steps recorder attachment. I did it for most of these nice. bugs, but in the feedback hub I attached that and I'm like, how does anyone put up with this? This is obnoxious. Please just make a right click menu always pop over whatever it is on the screen and never make it pop under something. What is prioritizing this? Please fix it. Yeah. You're honestly the first person I've heard complain about that, but I accept it. I'm happy to be the first person. <laughs> and you're probably not the last. Ooh, the run box. Let's talk about the run box and how much it annoys me. Windows R, or right-click start button run, or open start menu and type run. The run box, everyone's favorite box. It's my favorite box. Is it your favorite box? It's, I mean, on Fridays, I, I love the run box. The box of run. <laughs> Sorry, dad joke. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> you know what I really like about the run box? It's supposed to remember <laughs> past commands in that little down arrow thing of gleeful joyfulness. You open it and it's like every pass command and if you run a command frequently, you just slam the down arrow, go down your history, 
and run the command you want to run. It could be a run as command. It could be a special file path. It could be a, you know, open a program with these parameters or command line switches. In Windows 10, it randomly forgets this history. And most of the time you open run, it's just a clean bill of history with nothing in it. Sometimes it works and other times it doesn't. I can't determine with a constant behavior of this and why it gets dementia about history. You should never forget your history. The run box forgets its history. I think it's being proactive. It's like, here you go, Steve. Here's your clean run box. My action item for Microsoft is to please cure the run box Alzheimer's. Just please do it. Find, find a cure. Next bullet. Windows Action Center cannot intake large quantities of notifications. So if you ever have your Action Center pile up with notifications, it could be in the maybe greater than 50 greater than 100, greater than 200, large amounts of notifications from a single app, from multiple apps, you are going to notice insane behavior, such as your notifications stop showing up in the bottom right corner. You might notice that the notifications don't even show up in Action Center, or they just show up incoherently, or they randomly blink in and out of existence, and it just messes with everything. I noticed this with the Windows 10 app called Newsflow. This by default mm. is an RSS reader app, which I loaded my Inno Reader RSS feed subscriptions into. And I usually like to have it just give me my action center full of like random articles from whatever subscriptions I have. The problem is, well, it's not a problem. It should be just fine. I can reference these notifications as just, hey, things that come in, I can swipe them away, but they pile up. And apparently Action Center can't handle large quantities of these. I don't know why, but it breaks a whole lot of other things. Because then any new notifications have trouble popping up, may not pop up, and will not end up in the Action Center. Drives me kind of nuts. Uh, yeah, that's why I stopped using it, because it was just very frustrating. Yeah, I've, I've had to resort to like turning off a lot of notifications, or, at least, or just giving up on the whole system entirely, just like you. I don't like it. Mm -hmm, because, yeah... It becomes more daunting than anything to try to manage it. So needless to say, all these bullet points I just talked about have been submitted in the Windows 10 Feedback Hub, which apparently they totally, totally read as stated by we got this feedback every time I submit the feedback. But <laughs> I don't know if anyone's actually reading this feedback because it's been build after build of Windows 10 and these problems are still here. Kind of basic annoyances. So here's, I'm just putting these on blast. Somebody fix these for me please before steve loses his mind before i go crazy it's just all for you so that concludes the modest list of bugs in windows 10 that steve submitted in the feedback hub that got ignored or no upvotes <laughs> oh you should do that more often i totally should I think you need to scroll you need to scroll for this we could make this a recurring segment. Bleh. Make this a recurring segment if I ever had enough bugs to report. But bugs defines on the internet. This might be the whole list at the moment. I think this was yeah maybe a year and a half's worth of bugs that were just driving me crazy. But I think mm. I it just drove me nuts because I went to report the latest one, which was the uh, the task view system tray contact menu bug. And when I went to Feedback Hub, I couldn't help but go to the My Feedback section and notice they were all, all the other ones were just sitting there just uh, unwanted, unused, unseen. Oh, orphaned. Orphaned, yeah. I was I was like, un-something, but apparently it was or-something, orphaned. Mm. Anyways, okay, I'm done with this topic. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're going to get emotional. Like very. I screamed for way too long about this. Yeah, no, you're good. Apple versus Epic. This is... This is going to be fun. It's <laughs> getting saucy now. Yeah, this is salty. I, I've been avoiding this topic for the past couple of episodes because... Mm. I, you know, we're trying to make it a podcast about being sysadmins and when we just talk about the news or Apple things, it kind of, I don't know, I think it kind of can tend to derail us a bit, but this is annoying. Oh, this is really annoying. Like absolutely obnoxious because it has greater implications for things outside of just playing a stupid game called Fortnite. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. I, I, I could. <laughs> With moderation. <laughs> With moderation. I like fil the filtered version, the TLDR version. Where do we even begin? So I think we'll we'll preamble this with I'm not really, I don't really care about either company insanely much in terms of who wins this thing, in terms of like which company is the less crappy. Epic is kind of annoying and crappy in their own unique, different way. And Apple is kind of 
annoying and crappy in their own unique way. But the greater story mm-hmm. about this is more like Apple refusing to kind of work with developers and just let things be and stop being so controlling and just let things happen and stop just when things go wrong. Don't go nuts and start revoking things like people's ability to sign into things. Sign in with Apple was apparently on the chopping block until I guess they backtracked on that this week, something like that. Oh, wow. Because I was interested in using sign in with Apple because I was like, that sounds like a fairly private and sensible way to do account management without having to give my info to Facebook or Google. But now after hearing about Apple's conduct with Epic and how they were just going to get mad and revoke sign in with Apple for just users who don't have anything to do with this whole spat between the two of them, that really makes me want to avoid that entire system now. Because I'm like, no, I don't want my own ability to log in to be compromised by a company that can't emotionally handle themselves in court. Right. And that's what this is coming down to is it's almost personal now and not even about... I think it's really selfishly kind of taking away from the stance that they were suing for is that Apple is too controlling, which yes, in this case they are, but also that the fact that it's become childish and like a circus now. Yeah. The problem that Apple exhibits in a lot of these lawsuits is that they just sound like a petulant child or an overbearing helicopter parent. At the same Mm -hmm. time, somehow, they make all these statements that just sound like it's our way or the highway. You are not allowed to do this. And everyone else is like, why? Like, no one else gets away with this. This is basically monopolistic behavior if you look at it in the grand scheme of things. It's just a matter of time when Apple's going to bark up the wrong tree with this. I was kind of hoping Epic Games would be the last straw. Yeah, but at the same time, the fact that for so long they've gotten away with it And it's been mentioned before in the past that, you know, developers were very upset with the way Apple handles these things. But then currently, Epic was still signing the agreement, the the terms of agreement. They were still going and they still agreed to it. So on the legality aspect, and I'm not agreeing with either one here, legally, they did sign the contract. They did abide to follow Apple's rules. And the other part that is bothersome to me is that they waited to file for this a lawsuit when they're a massive company. So it kind of, and they're losing millions and millions of dollars versus by by Apple's practices and them not being able to make the money directly and Apple taking a cut of it. But at the same time, Fortnite has been pretty big for a while now and but now that they're hitting th- their biggest surplus of cash flow i almost think it's a money thing too that is driving this is that the 30 percent for a smaller developer yeah and i believe it's still 30 percent. i don't want to like um yeah it's still 30 i mean that's a lot but it's giving them advertising it's giving them things they don't have access to if they just try to like push it out on their own versus epic who already has all the advertising so 30 percent cut is a huge deal right and not to mention it's 30% 30% in 2020 just kind of sounds like a lot. Mm-hmm. Kind of asking oh, yeah. for quite a deal of chunk of change in terms of this. Oh, absolutely. Apple is making a bajillion dollars on just having the app store and it being so policed the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's the whole uh, mm-hmm. vomit of of feelings on this whole thing. I, hopefully we'll just make it the only time. But I'm, yeah, it's just kind of disgusting on Apple's part. I just think they just really need to respect developers a little bit more and relinquish mm-hmm. some control. And especially when something goes wrong, you, this is this is like textbook how you do not act in terms of um, revoking access and and hurting the users in the process. This is not something you do. This is not this is not impressive. This is just immature. And I expect better of Apple. I do agree with that as well. It's that that's very childish and very... I, I saw a headline today and I don't remember what it was about, but it, I didn't read it. But it was just a headline that was about Epic deleting their account and then Apple did something, but I didn't see what they did. Apple was either banning or deleting, effectively just shutting down their developer account. And as a side effect, the sign-in with Apple was going to get revoked until enough backlash basically kind of caused Apple to walk that back. They either claimed they were never going to do it or whatever, but it was sounding pretty obvious they were going scorched earth. And that is just not something you do. 
Okay. It sounds like an emotional outburst, to be honest. And what you need to consider are the users. And it's not okay to let the users suffer over something like this. That's okay. So that makes more sense than that is something. Yeah, this whole thing is just a nightmare. Yeah, I just kind of want to end. I want there to some someone needs to step in and like tell Apple what you this what isn't isn't right because this has been these tensions have been there since the original iPhone with the iOS I think iPhone OS 2.0 in the App Store or whatever. But things need to change. It's time somebody did something to prevent this from getting out of hand as it is. Apple needs to be kind of uh, taken down a peg in terms of how strict they can be and just how much they think they own the place. Well, and it's just kind of disgusting too. Because, you know, Epic has made a great deal off of Fortnite and they've made a lot of money and they've become a really successful company. But this is this could potentially bankrupt them. Right. Yeah. As big as Epic is, you know, they're not they're no Apple. Apple is, you know, usually hovers between one and two in terms of uh, number one, the stock market. I'm forgetting the term. You know, you know that number one stock market company in the world. Right. And. As far as um, their their users go, is that if they can't play it on Android or iOS devices, mostly iOS devi- devices, then they're going to lose a huge user base. Yep. Anyways, that's that. That's pretty terrible. That's pretty sad. Yeah. So final thoughts. Apple do better. Epic, uh, maybe be a little less of a jerk about some things too. You know, not letting Epic yeah. fully off the hook either. No. No. I there's yeah two wrongs don't make a right. But there's definitely some wrong things in here. Yeah, you can have two wrongs make a really wrong, but one wrong can be more wrong than the other. I think that's the final yeah. the final thoughts on this. The, the final wrong. The final wrong. Anyways. Okay, let's talk about sysadmin-y things now that, we're, now that we've done our- Let's not be so like, depressed about Apple and Epic. Epic apples. We're done our Apple topic therapy here. So let's move on to our next segment, which I guess is a segment. We'll call it the Hope This Helps Update Corner. Nice little jingle. It's football season. Things need jingles now. And we were just talking about doing the red zone. Yeah, we were thinking so. of doing uh, I till red zone where we can just do a live play-by-play analysis of service tickets. <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds really exciting the way when you explain it like that. You know, you have wow. You have the headsets, and you can do the slow mo of the of the comments being put in, and the and or you know the the, the live call streaming, just like yeah, just like football, just like football. It'll it'll be pretty much the same. Anyways, so speaking of football season, Steve, I think you're really excited about this. Maybe. Are you ready for the Bud Light Showtime cam? I don't even know what that means. I don't know what it means either. All I know, <laughs> I do know that we are not sponsored by the Bud Light Showtime cam. No. Microsoft is rolling out Teams NFL experiences. I, I really don't. Oh, okay. So in lieu of COVID-19, Microsoft already in the NFL space with the Surface and servers and partnerships, they are making teams more part of the NFL Sunday, Thursday, Monday, and occasionally day of the week. Saturdays during playoffs <laughs> experience. Teams is going to do some NFL stuff this year, and it's going to be rad. The real question is, will, it, will teams work? That's that's the question. They are apparently going to be providing game day experiences, crowd energy and engagement. So can you imagine just a bunch of people on the teams called this yelling incoherently? Oh, no. oh, you mean like regular everyday meetings? Yeah. So if you can imagine that, but just with a football game on in the background, welcome to Teams NFL experiences. Hold on. Can I put it in that new mode where we're all sitting in an auditorium? <laughs> Oh no, they need to add a mode where everyone's sitting in a stadium. They are. Yeah. They're calling it the fan mosaic. So building on that whole auditorium thing, they're going to display fans in stadiums on LED screens in the broadcasts, like green screen compositing kind of stuff. That's going to be fun. That is both really dumb and genius at the same time. (laughs) This is like the dumbest and greatest implementation of teams I think I've seen to date. Yes. And I'm and I just can't think, help but to think like oh great where there's gonna be a service service outage on all those days. Teams is just gonna be unusable <laughs> on Thursday night 
for Thursday night football or right, Monday night Thursday football. Thursday night football. <laughs> Can you imagine, Mon- you know, Monday already sucks. Like Monday night when, I don't know, there's a major incident or something and you're just trying to handle yeah. this in teams with a group chat with your buddies and your and your server team. And hey guys, uh, sorry, uh, football's going on. We can't use teams right now. It, it'll almost be exactly like when you go to Fenway or Gillette and your cell phone doesn't work when you're there. That's exactly how teams. So it'll actually be mimicking the experience you get when you go to a major stadium. Right. Where nothing, your cell phone doesn't work because there's too many people. The stadium experience comes home to you. Yeah. Teams just won't work for everybody. Awesome. This is going to be great. I'm so excited. Also, fun fact. Apparently, there have been, there's 170 Windows servers deployed across 30 NFL stadiums. Wait, so they get their own? The NFL? For real? They do. Oh, yeah. There's, there's a whole... You could run an, an entire IT infrastructure runs for the NFL for stadiums alone. Like, wireless Ooh. has to be perfect. Infrastructure needs to be perfect. Like, data analysis collection and transmission has to be perfect. It's, it's a crazy setup. Well, that's fine. But even, like, the NFL gets, like, their own Microsoft data centers, like... That's that NFL and Microsoft money for you. When they when they partner together, amazing things apparently happen. Yeah, suddenly hardware that no one can afford can be suddenly afforded. You also get hmm. amazing shots like Bill Belichick hurling a Microsoft Surface at a bench. Yeah, so good. That's I can never <laughs> stop watching that on loop. That's the best video I've ever seen. That's what I imagine you're like. You will be like if they don't fix the um the bugs. Yeah, that'll be me in, in a couple of years if they don't. <laughs> ah, jeez. Anyways, so um, that's the NFL teams update. Uh, more features for teams and maybe more downtime for teams coming up our way eventually. What's next? Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the latest Windows 10 Insider build, 20211, Linux file systems will be mountable, basically as physical disks, not necessarily as partitions just yet. But that's a really big advancement because that's something we've never really been able to do in Windows before. This is so cool. Particularly, I, I've kind of needed this tool because the other day I was trying to mount a disk that I was ultimately making it destined for Open Media Vault, which would have been in either an ext4 or a btrfs file system, but I had to mount it. I had to mount it inside a virtual machine, a Linux virtual machine, on my system because Windows didn't know what to do with the disk when you plugged it in because it has no support for Linux. The only utility that was supposedly able to read these file systems isn't currently functioning with the most current build of Windows 10. So you're in a bad spot if you're trying to just do anything with Linux disks right now in Windows, except the Windows subsystem for Linux is getting an update in the latest Insider build to at least mount a physical disk for this kind of stuff. That is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. This will be good. I'm a big fan. Yeah, it's currently mountable via the WSL mount command in the Insider Preview build, and you can use WMIC disk drive list brief to list the available disks, and you can use WSL unmount to unmount the disk. Currently, it's only limited to the ext4 file system, so hopefully ButterFS will come eventually. And you can't do partitions, only physical disks. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, that, that works. It'll get there, though. Yeah, promising nonetheless for absolute absolute sure. Mm-hmm. And it will only get better. So I'm really, I'm a big fan of this feature. There's only one way from here. So next, uh, servicing stack updates are going to be rolled into cumulative updates in the very near future for Windows Update. Hooray! That is awesome because servicing stack updates are the bane of my existence, especially in terms of installation order and staying on top of them and just fixing general issues. I guess I can make the case for why they were separate in the first place, but it's just so much nicer to just keep that inside the cumulative update because Microsoft puts them out every month anyway alongside them. Why not just build it in into the cumulative updates at this point? That is a really good point. Why they were separate, who knows? So that's coming soon. They mentioned it for Windows 10. I hope to God it's for Windows Server as well. Uh, Windows 10, I'm not really doing much in the patching world for that, but Windows Server, this would help my life out a lot. Save you some clicking. Clicks and frustrations, particularly that Windows Server 2012 issue where the Windows Update engine was just hosed and I had to install Mm. the servicing stack update first before I could remediate with the latest cumulative roll-up. Really annoying. Oh, that's really frustrating. 
Not to mention sometimes there's some months where the servicing stack update just doesn't come out for a certain OS. Like in this particular month, there is no servicing stack update for server 2012. And why? I couldn't tell you. It exists for all the other OSs, but not server 2012. So it's like, it's already confusing and fragmented. Why not just roll it into the cumulative update at this point? Right. That that really makes sense. They'll get there. Next up, um, apparently the fall update for Windows 10 is going to be teed up soon. So if you need a copy of 2004, which I still haven't installed anywhere yet, um, you might want to use the media creation tool to download it and stash an ISO somewhere. Hooray! That is straight from Ask Woody. Things to keep in mind. Oh, good times. It is um, Windows 10 Insider Preview Build 19042508, also known as 20H2, has been released to the Insider's beta channel on September 8th, 2020. It has been released to commercial customers in the beta channel and release preview channel for pre-release validation. So it's coming. It's going to be out soon. Good time. I don't even know what's in that update. I barely knew what was in 2004, and I never ended up installing 2004 because of all the problems I heard about it. Oh, there are so many problems with 2004. We... We could read all of the bugs for days. Um, I honestly regret it. I don't recommend it. I just, I just never installed it because it was never actually pushed to my system. I went and I did it and I regret it. Yeah, my Surface never got it and my desktop never got it. And neither one was forcing me to install it because I guess it was that bad. Now I'm just like, do I just jump over it to the newer build? I don't know what to do. Yeah, I... You probably should wait. <laughs> yeah, because I'm on 1909. No, I'm always going to wait. Anytime a feature, anytime, oh. a, anytime an FU comes out, I wait a month or two. No, I have seen previews of this. Okay, I had to go and I Google it and I have, and I've seen some of the development. Uh, yay, good stuff on Twitter. No more noisy focus assist notifications noisy focus assist notifications i don't know what that means i'm yeah. just reading out loud because it sounds very exciting the point of focus assist is that it doesn't notify you what do you mean focus assist notifications wait so focus assist will send you notifications in the spirit of not bugging with you notifications focus assist pops up to show you a notification that hey it's not going to show you any notifications and when wait, you're done with focus what? activity <laughs> what the uh... I, I don't I don't know. That could have been worded better. Focus is supposed to kill yeah. all notifications until you turn it off. And when you do but turn you it off. But you get a notification. When you do turn it off, you get a summary of every notification that came in. Are they going to get rid of that? Because they shouldn't get rid of that. That's a nice little feature. I think you're still going to get that. I think I, I'm not, I don't really know. That was a really weird wording. Hmm. Okay. Maybe it's hopefully it's better than my interpretation Wait, of it right now. Are they finally going to fix the really annoying tablet mode switching? Hey, you're switching your thing again. The tablet mode switching was in the pipeline for a while. Basically, they were kind of, uh, I think they were trying to get rid of tablet mode or at least shove it to the very, very, very back of the operating system yeah. because tablet mode just kind of sucks in Windows 10. I just don't even, mm -hmm. I don't even use it anymore. I just using desktop mode all the time. It works fine enough. Tablet mode just messes up your windows and it takes too long to switch. And I just, I stopped, I gave up on it a long time ago. Yeah, I tried to turn it off, but for some reason, mine just keep every time it, there's a Windows update, it turns back on. Oh, that's annoying. Yeah, it's I just so frustrating. I managed to keep it off, and it stays off. Maybe I don't know. I I, I heard it's kind of going away. You, there shouldn't have to really be a tablet mode. It should be able to just adapt on the fly. Yes, I absolutely agree with you on that. Yeah, oh, it's well. almost there. So there's going to be also notification enhancement and default task bar icon tweaks nice are they rolling out that touchscreen enabled file explorer yet because that's cool you can currently enable that in 1909 you just have to um what? you have to know the sh there's a magic shortcut you can make and it will launch a nice touchscreen friendly file explorer and i've been playing around that... with it and it's really nice wow that's really cool yeah it's funny because they've been using it in like promo videos but then you sit there you're like mm -hmm. but this isn't in windows 10 yet well it is they just have it hidden very creatively maybe in the show notes we'll put a little i'll drop a little uh uh how to it takes like two seconds to enable it that wow yeah i'll have to turn it on right now my only touch screen device is my surface and i really don't use it that much I'm using my touchscreen surface quite a bit right now. I'm actually using it as a, a virtual mute button for my mic because it's quieter than the hardware mute button on my microphone. Oh, yeah. No, the the hard button on the microphone makes a lot of noise. Yeah, it, yeah, it goes, yeah, it goes click, click. And you're like, why? 
but why? So the surface, hooray. Um So Surface 2004, what next? Um Exchange. Yeah, let's Aww. let's talk about Exchange and um a big vulnerability for Exchange. Wow. Uh when does Exchange not have a big vulnerability? Uh not this month. Although funny enough, it's kind of interesting about this vulnerability because I think it actually was patched a couple of CUs ago for Exchange 2016 CU 16 and 17 and Exchange 2019 CU5 and CU6. And those are not, they're not new. They've been out for a little while. Uh, maybe it's just this vulnerability was just disclosed. Maybe that's what Microsoft's getting at. And they're just saying, well, if you patched in the past two months, you're fine. That is probably likely what happened is that it, it was bigger than they thought it was or who knows. The big question is um, they don't mention any exchange server older than 2016. Is 2013 out of support at this point? I can't not, quite remember. Not, I believe... I want to say it was October, but I think basically when when they cut something off or a product off, like they cut it off, like you were ghosted. But I don't, I don't actually. Oh, I feel really out of date and like a terrible human for not knowing this. But it's old now. It looks like Exchange Twenty Thirteen entered the extended support cycle on April tenth, twenty eighteen. So they're in extended okay. support. That's interesting. But so, and then Exchange Twenty Ten dies this year for real exchange 2010 is just yeah it'll be dead very very soon nobody nobody should care or just get off it no yeah exchange 2013 yeah it should be it should be supported for at least a little while longer i guess this vulnerability just doesn't concern exchange 2013 somehow that does happen occasionally sometimes the older version it, gets yeah, away with it does. so interestingly enough when i look up the cve it says the date for entry created disclaimer, the entry created date may reflect when the CVE ID was allocated or reserved and does not necessarily indicate when the vulnerability was discovered, shared with the affected vendor, publicly disclosed or updated in CVE. Ah, there we go. Okay, so that would explain why two updates that have been out for about a month and a half already cover this. So, okay, if you have already patched and you're diligent about patching Exchange, you might be good. If not, uh, patch because this one's pretty bad. It's They can... Run arbitrary code in the context of the system user. Pretty pretty big and pretty bad. That is pretty big and pretty bad. Patching. Patchy patch patch. Patchy patchy Ooh. patch patch. Speaking of... So Teams. Yeah, let's get back to uh, Teams here. So Teams is getting a minor UI tweak to hopefully stop that one guy on your team from not replying to a thread, but just starting a whole new thread as a reply to that thread. Introducing the new conversation button in Teams. And by the one guy, you mean everybody? <laughs> and by, everybody? yeah, everybody. That make, just makes me die inside. You know, it's like, are, is, anyone, is, that, is anyone working on blank server right now? And the person who replies, he just says yes as a whole new thread. It's like, stop. Just please. It's really funny um, because I I have that button and it really is much easier. But I will say it's another click, whereas I like just like clicking into the text field. So... Yeah, the reason you have well that that's strategic because if you have to do the extra click, yeah. it kind of makes you stop and think. Wait, am I in the right place? Wait, what, what do you mean new conversation? That whole thing. Right. No, wait. No, I'm trying to reply to the old one. How do I do that? I think it is rolled out if you're using Teams in the browser. My Teams app has not gotten the update yet, but if I use Teams in the browser, I do have the button. So it's kind of an interest. It's in an interesting place right now. My Teams app does have it. And I think, funny enough, um, I think someone did that this morning. Even in my work, they replied as a new thread. So I don't know if they got the update. And I'm like, well, uh, I don't think this button is uh, working so far if they did get it. Yeah. Um, I think it also depends on what channel, like if you're on the new releases or whatnot. But this is GA now, from what I understand. I could be making that up. It's probably GA, but it's probably rolling and out. And it's also phases. rolling out to various, yeah, to various tenants. But I got it like sometime last week or this week. I don't know my weeks anymore. Me either. It's fine. We're in week a million of 2020. Teams. I feel like there's other things in Teams that I wanted to share. And I just am now blanking on them entirely. Have you gotten the new pop-out meetings? 
I got. I feel like we've talked about this before. Hmm. I think we, we have. I don't think I've gotten it yet. I've kind of moved on to more of a system where I just use Teams in the browser and I can just duplicate the window. Mm. You know, I can duplicate the tab or window as many times as I want. And that's my quote unquote pop out experience for Teams using just the browser, manipulating the browser version of it. Okay. No, that, that works. Honestly, the browser version is pretty good. It's actually been immensely helpful because I'll like open the Teams app to do a call and a screen share. But I don't want the chat to, you know, minimize the screen share or the webcam. So I'll open mm. it in the browser and I'll have the full chat open in another monitor as a full screen window. And there we go. You know, there's my dual monitor, dual screen pop out Teams experience right there. Okay. That, that honestly is exactly what it does, but in the app. So you don't have to. That's awesome. Yeah. It's like, you know, that's my way of getting around it. But for most people, it'd be nice if you could just have that feature built into the app mm-hmm. with native support. Yeah. No, I mean, buttons. either version is really good. Um, the Teams app itself can get a little bit heavy. Yeah. But... I'll say. <laughs> I know. You, you're constantly fighting with it. Yeah. Constantly. constantly. Okay. So because I can't remember what I was going to bring up, it's okay. I sometimes have just some minor memory loss. We're good. It's fine. It's it's the whole Any... like when you're put on the spot, you don't remember anything. I get this. I know. And I was just thinking about it. So Microsoft, we just loved, loved this topic. What did they hose this week? What did they hose this week? What did they hose last week? What did they hose two weeks ago? And would you be um, completely floored if i told you it was the same issue Ooh, no I, i'm not surprised to be honest so enter exchange incident 221227 admins may be unable to migrate some mailboxes this issue was reported on august 31st 2020 6 38 p.m officially you know when this issue actually began admitted by microsoft august 26th 2020 7 a.m. UTC, and it persisted until September 8th, 2020, 5.27 p.m. UTC. For those keeping score at home, 13 days of issues with migrations. Anecdotally, I saw the issue start to clean up about 11 days later, but the official issue was 13. So, you know, I'll go with the official start and end times. That is nuts. The root cause was... A recent service update to Exchange Online caused issues with migration requests. We're reviewing our validation and update procedures to prevent issues like this from occurring in the future. Approximately 1.6% of migrations encountered this issue, and admins can now resume their migrations or restart those that encountered a failure. Wow. Wow. Um, wowie, wow, wow, wow. Where do we even begin with this? This is nuts. So let's start from the top. Um, just how long this issue went for, uh, 11 to 13 days. We were hit by this. We had a lot of accounts to migrate. We're an EDU. We have a lot of, a lot of uh, brand new accounts. We got to migrate them, and we were down. We were just down. We couldn't move them up, and we had to wait days and days. Not a whole lot of correspondence from Microsoft, and it just took forever. They didn't even post the issue until five days after. I was originally driving through all my scripts and I was like, what, what did I break? What did I do? Even though I haven't made any changes to my migration scripts in days, weeks, months at this point, it's been the gold standard and all of a sudden I just quit working. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know what Microsoft was thinking. Clearly not, not a ton here. So this, you know, again, the root cause is a service update to exchange online caused issues. And we're reviewing our validation and update procedures to prevent issues like this from occurring in the future. Yeah, Wait. you you best do that, Microsoft. You best. They've said that before because they've had similar issues like this in the past multiple times. And this is a 13-day downtime. This is two weeks. This is not five nines of service. Let me tell you that. Yeah. 1.6% of migrations. Do you know how big Exchange Online is? How many total users and migrations that could be happening at any one given point? 1.6% is a lot. You know, I'm it guessing sounds... it's millions, millions yeah. of migrations. It sounds like a small number. It is not a small number. You know, I know for us, it was a, we had a lot of users and it's all relative. You know, if your organization isn't, you know, half the planet and you have users that can't migrate and this is a problem. <laughs> would have appreciated like more updates from Microsoft or mitigations or just overall more diligence in reporting the problem. Office 365 tends to do this a lot where they won't 
necessarily post an issue until it gets really bad or if it's like already mid-flight or almost resolved. Half the time you have to go to places like r slash sysadmin or the patch management mailing list or forums somewhere else. And it would be really nice if Microsoft could be more proactive or at least upfront in terms of communicating these problems. I definitely agree with you. And a few years ago, there was the same type of thing that occurred. And then they started making it more transparent. And I feel as if with these major incidents, they've kind of gone back on their old ways of sort of hiding behind them as they're happening and then telling you about them after the fact or not really giving you any sort of update meanwhile. Precisely. And they've provided postmortems for these incidents before. But a lot of times, if you, they bury them in the portal, they like put it in like a zip file and a doc file, and you have to log in and you got to click into a million things. It's like put that up front. I want to see like nearly a blog post explaining why was this down and why is this a problem. What do, what are you doing to fix this in the future? Mm-hmm. No, I absolutely agree, and I think it's it, same thing with the updates for Windows. It's definitely need a more user centric approach to how they're providing and updating users with these outages or even updates. Yeah. And if you want a prime example of something done right where a major incident occurred and you couldn't quite tell what was going on, Mozilla's had a few in the past couple of years. But when they discovered what was wrong, like when one of their certificates expired for their add-ons directory, which caused like everyone's add-ons to explode in Firefox from their central add-ons.mozilla.org repository. They posted a big postmortem on what happened with like big technical diagrams, the certificate chain, which one was broken, and how they're completely making sure that this will not happen in the future. I want to see stuff like that from Microsoft. Like, give me confidence in your product. You know, not to have me expect that uh, migrations might not work for two whole weeks in Exchange Online. Give me something here, not a delayed, unacceptable report that arrives late. Absolutely. And one of the challenges with the delayed delivery of these reports is that you have administrators and different people of the organization starting to look into why these accounts aren't migrating. As you said before, you think that it's you or you think it's something that you've implemented or something that has been updated with the on-prem environment. But in reality, it's something that you have no control over. But not only that, you don't have any visibility to know when it's broken. So you can't even provide your users with any sort of transparent way or communication to let them know that their service might not be available for an extended period of time. Right, exactly. You know, I need I need something. And <laughs> what what more can I say? It's, you know, just overall just kind of surprise and disappointment in this. And I'd expect better communication in the future, especially for a tier one system like email like this. The worst feeling is when you think it's something you did, particularly if you think your scripts are failing. You tear it all apart only to find out later, due to a delayed communication, that something went wrong on an end you had no control over. Exactly. The delayed reaction definitely doesn't help the situation here. And it really doesn't give you the satisfaction of the product in general, that it's going to be a reliable product long term. And I think that's um, why this is getting daunting is that every week we go into this and there's issue after issue. And I get that it's a large environment with a lot of moving pieces. But I think generally, people like you and I just want updates. We just want to know when something is occurring, when it's happening. Precisely. I just, you know, we're up to what, Microsoft 345 at this point, you know, calling your service mm -hmm. based on your uptime when you're not good at uptime. That's not a great look. Right. Microsoft sometimes. Microsoft maybe 1.9 if we're lucky. 1.9. <laughs> yeah. So it's not great. <laughs> Definitely not great. Ooh, so here we are with Teams again. We just need a Teams podcast. Oh, man. So this one uh, so this one was current at least a day and a half ago maybe, and yesterday. Um, I think it's still ongoing. Uh, TM221283, users who are given control by a presenter during a Microsoft Teams meeting are unable to control the screen. Ouch. Ooh. Depending on how Impact is presenting itself for your organization, there are workarounds available. If no mouse or keyboard actions are working, users may click on one of the side rail items, such as chat, teams, and calendar, and then return to the meeting screen to mitigate impact. If a user has issues controlling the top of the screen, the sharer needs to move the shared app, such as a web browser or the Outlook client, down 40 pixels to mitigate the impact. <laughs> 
Wow. What? What the? Well, f- <laughs> hold on, everyone. I have to just now tweak my entire machine. Hey, I need to move 40 pixels to the left. There's a bug. You understand. <laughs> right. Can you move 40 pixels for me, please? Until further notice, my screen is 1920 by 1040 instead of 1080. Okay, so you just made them. 40 pixels. Is... Sorry. Can't do can't do anything about it. Teams okay. demands it. Teams says I need to subtract these 40 pixels. Real sorry. Oh, man. We determined that a recent service update is causing the problem. <laughs> hey, this sounds familiar. We're developing a fix, which is expected to take an extended period of time to complete, as we need to make sure that it doesn't negatively impact any additional aspects of the Microsoft Teams service. We're expecting... The the validation for the fix to complete by Tuesday, September 15th, 2020, at which time we are aiming to provide an ETA for the deployment of the fix and the remediation of impact. So it's going to take a couple days to find those 40 pixels we're missing. Oh, um, I hope they can find them. I hope they find them too and I don't have to drag down 40 or click out and in mm. or do really weird stuff that most C-level people are not going to stand for and be like, I have to do what now? They probably are already clicking all over the place and they're just like, yeah, they're gonna... wait, what? What? 40 pixels? What? what? 40? Okay, you got a magnifying glass? We're going to count together. I'm going to validate for you. Have you seen a yeah. retina display? Those things are tiny. That, that's going to be a good time. I could actually see somebody who like <laughs> starting to count them out like, oh, I got all the pixels here, guys. <laughs> Oh All God. mine are here. Our telemetry suggests that approximately 3% of meetings may experience impact. 3%. Again, 3%. 3%. There's a lot of meetings. I live in meetings daily. 3% is yep. a lot when you think of the grand total. Very true. 3% is a lot. Not great. It's a lot. So um, this is, as far as I know, this issue has not been re- uh, fixed and will be fixed in supposedly four days. But we'll see. We'll see if Microsoft actually follows through on that schedule. But oof. Oof. Yeah, that's not great. No bueno on that one. Thanks, Microsoft. And that was what Microsoft hosed this week and last week and a bit of the week before. And the week before that and like three years ago. And a bit of next week, too. (laughs) Yeah. We're already (laughs) Do you want to get... Oh, this week's topic of the week can be like, do you want to guess what's going to be broken next week? We can make it like a a bet. Like, what do you bet is going to be broken? I'm thinking like we're not going to have like a back button in Edge next week or something. Something insane. Okay. Yeah, no. Um, I bet that the I the one that I was just thinking of really did happen when the Windows menu bar wasn't working. The task. That's right. When search just didn't randomly yeah, work for a couple of days. When the search didn't work, and I was like, "Oh, what about that one?" And I was like, "No, that really happened." <sighs> My favorite one was on, I believe, January first of two thousand ten, when all the zunes stopped working, when they yes. all wouldn't, when they all wouldn't oh. boot. It was like Y two Zoom. Yeah, it was something to do with the. Um, it was a leap year. Was two thousand ten a oh. leap year? Um, wasn't no it was 2008 2008 and 2012 were leap years okay. yeah okay maybe it was 2008 let's rewind two years um january 1st 2008 leap year wasn't handled correctly in the zune software and it caused the devices to be stuck at the boot screen good times crazy yeah that's still my favorite bug that's wild yeah um what do i think will happen next week i bet that ie 11 will still be there uh, I think, yeah, I mean it'll never it'll never fully go away. No, it's never gonna go away. Um, no, I wish I had a better one. I really liked my search one. I don't know. They keep breaking all kinds of stuff. Um, next week's issue will probably be with lists. Ooh, lists. Yeah, some of the lesser known stuff or some of the SharePoint stuff. To do or lists. Yeah, I think there's gonna be problems with SharePoint stuff. Live correction, by the way, it was December 31st, 2008 was when the Zune issue Ooh. occurred, not January 1st. Not January 1st, but it was close enough for rock and roll. Yeah, I got, the, I, got, I got the year right eventually once I learned how to figure out when leap years were. Leap years are hard. They're really hard. It's easy in 2000 because the leap year was 2000, so 4, 8, 12, 16, 20. Mm, that makes sense. Four, yeah, 4, 8, 12, 16, 20. Do you, you want to talk about your disposable O365 training environment? I do, and it won't be too long. Um, I really I do want. So. I really do want to talk about this this week, though, because I think it's a great topic. Let's talk about Office 365 trial environments and how useful they are for certain situations where you need a throwaway Office 365 environment. Office 365 trials are 30 days in duration. 
The use cases for these can be demos, classes, and areas where you need an office installs in a pinch, or OneDrive, or some kind of shared collaborative space. Usually in education, that's helpful. Training, uh, if you just have a fleet of laptops you just need this for really, really temporarily, this is super helpful. One thing you need to kind of make sure you do is of course clean up after yourself, make sure there's no PII left in these trials after they are done, kind of your standard use it but use it responsibly. But setting up trial accounts can be really, really simple and really nice. And it's scriptable. It's largely once you get at the initial sign up with the web browser, you can do a lot of it in PowerShell. So you set up an Office 365 E3 trial account. You can specify the name. I usually will try to name it as the date of which I created it to ensure that the name is available, like 2020-09-11. And if that's not available somehow, you can put the hours, minutes, and seconds to really ensure that it's available. The best way to denote an immutable ID sometimes is just uh, a uniform format of the uh, date and time. I've only ever done the 30-day trials, and I honestly have given up because I uh, I just feel like all my stuff's going to go away. Yeah, no, you you do these with the assertion that the data is going to go away, at least in the, the way I'm describing it. Okay, so as long as you prepare for it mentally, emotionally. Yeah, the last time I had to use this was I was, help co I was helping co-teach a class for um, a bunch of folks who were very new to computers, and they, it was like, very, very low, or not low, high-level computer basic usage, internet usage, how to use Word, and all kinds of things. And it was a nonprofit. I was given a pile of laptops that half of which weren't even working. I had to get them all up to speed. And I was like, okay, I need Office. I need a functional cloud environment. I don't have a file server. I may not even have reliable network access. I can't send I can't set up a file share I can't do anything but I do have base internet access so OneDrive would work and I know how to do OneDrive sharing and all that so I can do an Office 365 tenant trial then I have the god mode I can set up all the stuff I need to and it will last just long enough for this class hmm. yeah so you you complete the trial you can then connect to your tenant using PowerShell you can pre-fill a CSV which Microsoft can even give you a sample file for you can fill it Dis you can define your usernames, the display names, and all the necessary info that you would normally need to click through the GUI for. You can import the CSV, and then you can connect again to download, not download, reset the passwords for these accounts. So you can just distribute them out to whoever needs them temporarily. And hmm. of course, you can allocate the licenses in bulk as well when you import the CSV. This is all super repeatable, super easy, super nice, and it's disposable also. I wouldn't recommend doing this if you wanted to keep the tenant afterwards because you might be naming it kind of a throwaway name that might go away after a while. But right. this is really helpful in a pinch and especially helpful if you're in a training environment or something where you just need people just to have a playground of Office or just to see what the functions of these Office 365 E3 tenants can do. But yeah, that's, that my little that's my little spiel. These are really, really helpful in general. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. I should probably set one up again. I keep, again, like I said, the 30 days is really what gets me. I just feel so like it's going to just end. Yeah, you can always, um, of course, you can always purchase it at the end if you want to keep it or if you name it something you're going to keep around or whatever. There's, you know, all kinds of options. I usually go in with the assumption, I'm like, okay, I only need it for 30 days and I don't care what happens to it afterwards. Yeah, no, that's that's good. I want to play around with more stuff that is not in my yeah. real life tenant. Yep, same. All right, so we are, what, I think we can probably call this a day to day. Yeah, well, you have to go anyways. I do have to go. Yeah, last week you had the meeting, this week I have the meeting. It's always one of us. Yeah, I think that brings us basically to the end of the show here. Mm-hmm. All right. No ask the stiffs this week. No, that is accurate. We just, we weren't feeling creative this week. No, it's the short week from the holiday on Monday. The creativity is just not there. Yep. Short week, short prep. Oh, well. Mm -hmm. Short brain. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. So thanks for listening to Hope This Helps. Uh, we have a website, hdhpc.com. You can find all of our podcasts, our previous episodes, as well as any of the new ones. We are also on Anchor and uh, rate us on iTunes so people will like us. We Please really do. want that. Please. Thank you. You don't even have to say anything. You can just click the... No, just click the button. Click the stars between yeah. one and five, whichever one. I'm not going to push you to click five, but if you want to click five, go for it. Or click three or two or one. I don't care. Right. Bad pub publicity is still publicity. I'll take it. Yes. No publicity is bad publicity. Shout 
shout out to Adam Fowler. Hi, thank you for Hi, noticing. Hi, thank you. Very much. We're not <laughs> fan personing over here or anything. No, no, we don't just, no, it's all good. I won't be awkward. <laughs> yeah. I'm just awkwarding up the place over here. I'm sorry. Yeah, don't mind no, me. it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we're on Twitter. Um, we're on Reddit as well. We have a subreddit. I think probably the best way to get us is probably going to be Twitter, to be honest, just because mm-hmm. it's just, it's hard to check a thousand things. We will occasionally check the other things, but I don't know. Just hit us on Twitter if you can. Um, yeah, we're at HTH the podcast. Um, someday I'll get a Twitter that's public facing eventually i thought about it the other day maybe i'll start that too i was wondering that because you have some gems of posts that i am like i really wish the world could see what what he's saying right now maybe i'll think about it in the near future i will yeah no one's pressuring i'm not a big social media person but maybe maybe i can make an exception or i'll come up with something in the near future right but yeah we're on twitter check out hthbc.com and um hopefully we'll be back next week we kind of record on a somewhat irregular schedule that's why if you randomly get a podcast drop from us on a random inconsistent day that's just why that's just what we do we're you know we don't we're not full-time podcasters we kind of just do this a little for funsies and it's also helpful to be a full-time sysadmin to actually be able to get half of these ideas and stories and things yeah but yeah that's about all i got so that's all i've got from all of us here until next time whenever that is we hope this helps